Happy New Year. All right, that was kind of okay. Let's try that one more time. All right, here we go. You got it. You got a better one in you. One, two, three. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. I love New Year, man. I love the idea of you know, turning the calendar over and you're starting something new, something about do-overs, a new page, and 23 is behind us, 24 is ahead of us, and all that that means. I just love it. I love the New Year. And when I think of New Year, I think a lot like, like a painter, like you just saw in the video. They, they will start with a blank canvas like this. And, and there's nothing on it. It's blank. And then they will go to work and they'll take what was in their mind. And, and with all their talent, they will start to, uh, to use colors and brush strokes and techniques and texture to create something that is really, really beautiful. Just like this painting that was done by Jen Towers in our church that painted that for us. And so you, you have this idea of nothing, a blanket, and then just something beautiful brought out. Uh, your year is a lot like this. You are a lot like this. Did you know that God wants to create something in you that is beautiful? God wants to do something new in you that's beautiful. You may say, well, uh, that sounds good, Craig. You got a verse for that? Actually, I do, okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter two says this. It says, you are, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works for which God prepared ahead of time for you to do. Uh, the word there, workmanship, can be translated creation, or get this, can be translated masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. I love that. You know, some of y'all are a little bit like a Picasso. Anyway, no, no, I didn't mean that. But you're, you're, you're a masterpiece, man. God's created you uniquely with a uh, unique blend of talents and abilities and experience and, and spiritual gifts and all those kind of things blended together to make a one-of-a-kind masterpiece that God is making and listen, the way that you put that on display is through serving. Notice what it says here. You're, you're God's masterpiece, creating Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared ahead of time for you to do. That God has create, done all this work in you, not so you can just say, man, it's awesome what God did for me, but so you can put it on display by serving others. Lilius Trotter was a, a woman who grew up in the mid-1800s in West London. She grew up in a wealthy family. She had tutors uh, when she was young. She was able to travel the world. Pretty much anything that was uh, nice at the time was at her disposal. But when she was 20 years old, she heard the gospel. And God really began to do a work in her heart. And she responded to the gospel. Someone wrote about Lilius that the, the rudder of her will was set on God's will. Don't you love that? I wish that would be said of me, right? The rudder of my will set on God's will. She also was a remarkable painter. In fact, she was discovered by an art critic named John Rustin, who told her that, that she might be very well one of Europe's greatest painters of all time. She had a real gift for seeing the beauty in nature and translating it onto the page or onto the canvas in, in vibrant, beautiful pictures. 
But somewhere along the way, as she was pursuing her career as an artist, she went to a missions conference. And at the missions conference, she heard about people in North Africa who had never heard the gospel. And God began to move in her heart. And she made a determination in her early 30s to leave Europe, to leave her really her art career, and to go be a missionary in Algeria. And that's what she did. She spent the rest of her days sharing the gospel, obviously continuing to paint there, but sharing the gospel of Jesus with people who had never heard him or heard about him. And Lilius wrote several books, but one of the books she, she wrote has this quote in it that's always meant a lot to me. She wrote this, yes, there lies before us a beautiful, possible life. On that shall have a, one that shall have a passion of giving that shall be poured forth to God and spent out for man. She said, you know, our life is like this blank canvas. It's got this possibility of beauty, but the real beautiful, vibrant life is a life that's spent out for God, poured out in service to others. What we're learning here is simply this, that a vibrant life is displayed through serving. A vibrant life is displayed through serving. And what I want you to see is how Jesus taught us this principle so clearly. Uh, would you open your Bible? If you've got a Bible, open it up to John chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one at the seat back in front of you. John 13 is where we're going to be today. And, and when you open up to John chapter 13, you're really transported into the upper room. This is the last few moments Jesus had with his disciples the last moments he would have with them together before he went to the cross. And Jesus is really going to put on a master class on the importance of serving and why serving others matters so much. I want to give you just a couple of insights on this passage here uh, this morning, all right? Uh, John 13, uh, it, I'm going to write this first thought down. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts uh, based on what we learned from Jesus. Write this first thought down. Uh, when you serve, you're more, you look more like Jesus. When you serve, you look more like Jesus. Look at John 13, beginning of verse 1. This is the word of God, amen? amen. Uh, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judah, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Now stop right there for just a minute. There's a lot going on in Jesus' mind and heart in this moment. It's a heavy moment. Think about it, it says there that his time had come. This is, this is something that all the way through the scriptures we've been reading was coming. I remember back in Cana when Jesus was uh, just starting his ministry and they ran out of wine at a wedding. Remember this one? Uh, this is the verse the Baptists typically don't like. And, and they ran out of wine and, uh, and the mother of Jesus came to him and said, Jesus, you know, they ran out of wine, what are you going to do? And he said, my time has not yet come. Other times they would try to apprehend Jesus in the temple and, and it would say, but his time had not yet come. But now Jesus is saying, my time has come. The time of his death, the time of his arrest, the time when he would go to the cross. This was now around the corner. 
The time had come. It also says that he was, he was loving his men who were with him. He loved them to the end. He knew that they would never be like this again with him. He had poured out his life for three years. And now it was, it was this last supper together. And uh, he was just overwhelmed with his love for them. He also knew that the devil had put in the heart of Judas to betray him. And so here is Judas hanging out with everybody, acting like he's with Jesus. But Jesus knows. He knows what's really on his heart, what's really on his mind. And then he said that he knew he was going to the Father. He knew that his time had come, that he was, he, he was going to go ascend to the Father. But what stood between the Father and him was a cross. And so all this is on Jesus' mind. It's a heavy moment. And nobody really around that table understood it like Jesus understood it. And I don't know about you, but if that were me and I'm like, man, I got all this on my mind and I'm just so weighted down and I know what's all at stake, I would probably be thinking, man, I wish somebody would be, would be caring for me right now. I wish somebody would be like, man, Craig, I'm sorry, man. Let's just put our hands on you and pray for you or encouraging you. Hey, could somebody like encourage me right now? But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, he did the exact opposite. Instead of focusing on himself, he turned around and he served the people around that table. Look at what he did. Look at verse 4. It says, so he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. And next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied around him. A couple of thoughts here about foot washing. Uh, we don't really do that today in our culture here in America, but I'm sure in other cultures that still is uh, a practice. But in that day, foot washing was necessary, right? It was necessary. Uh, they travel a lot of dirty roads. There's a lot of stuff on those roads that you didn't want to track in, especially when you're going to recline. And they didn't sit at a table. They would recline on pillows. The, the table they ate around was about the size of a coffee table or at least the height of one. And so your feet are kind of close to someone's face. You definitely, listen, it's necessary, all right? I, I have a daughter that lives in New York City. And when I go visit her apartment, all their roommates' their shoes are lined up at the front door. And I asked her one time, what's the, with the deal of putting your shoes at the front door? She said, Dad, we walk through the streets in New York City all day long. Trust me, what we walk through, you don't want track in the house, right? And that's exactly what was happening there. They were, they were, they were dirty. It was necessary to wash someone's feet. But not only was it necessary, it was customary. I mean, this was a part of their custom Typically, you would go into a house or someone's home, and they would wash your feet as a customary greeting. If, if there was not a servant there to do it or an owner there to do it, then, then they, would, uh, they would leave a base and a towel there for you to do it for yourself. But that was part of the custom of the time. It was customary. But what Jesus did here on this night was special. It was different. What Jesus did on this night was revolutionary. You say, well, how was it revolutionary? In this moment, Jesus is redefining what is greatness. He's redefining it. He's reshaping it. This really comes into clear focus when you understand what the, we read about in the Gospel of Luke, that that very night, the disciples had been arguing among themselves who was going to be the greatest. 
I'm going to be on the corner office. No, no, I'm going to have this part in the upcoming kingdom. No, I'm going to be the great one. And they were debating and arguing. And all the while they're fussing about this, Jesus is taking off his outer clothing. He's wrapping a towel around his waist. He's pouring water into a basin. And he begins to go one by one by one and wash their feet. You say, how does that redefine greatness? Well, in that day, greatness was determined by your accomplishment or your achievement. Greatness was determined by your power, right? Or, or your possessions, what you attained. But Jesus said, no, no, greatness is not found in these things. Greatness, true greatness is found in humble service to other people. That is true greatness, and that is revolutionary, my friends. Jesus redefined greatness. Now, here's what I want you to see. Let me shift gears here. Stay with me. Are you ready? Jesus has a plan for you. God's got a plan for your life, and that plan is for you to look more and more like Christ. The Scripture calls that Christ-likeness. I remember when I was in college, I was like, how in the world am I going to look like Jesus? I mean, I'm going to walk around in a robe, you know, grow my beard out. What does that mean? And they're like, no, Craig, it's not like that. That you're going to actually, your attitude's going to be like Jesus. You're, what he likes, you like. What he loves, you love. What he does, you do. How he thinks, you think. You're, you're, God's working on you. This sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is making you more and more and more like Jesus. That's God's program for your life. That's what God wants for you. And you see this all the way through the Bible. In fact, in Romans 8, 29, we read that those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. What God wants to do is conform you into the image of Jesus. Galatians 4, same thing. My children, I again am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. So God wants you to look more and more and more like Jesus. Now get this, if that's true, if that's true, and if Jesus said greatness is in humble service, then what does he want for you? Jesus wants you to follow his lead in serving others. You know, there's some people that say, well, Craig, you know, I'm, I'm in a Bible study and, I, and I, I come to church and I listen to some podcasts during the week and I'm, I'm doing all these great things, but I just don't really feel like I'm growing in the Lord. Could it be that what you're missing is this very thing? I mean, you can come on a Sunday and you can enjoy and you can be poured into and you can receive all that God has for you. But listen, my friend, you'll never grow fully into Christ likeness until you begin to serve because it's in the serving that God begins to work in you. See, it's not just what you're doing for others. It's what God is doing in you as you do something for someone else. And that's how you grow in Christ-likeness. So one of the reasons why serving is so, so important, it's important for you. Listen, I'm not, I'm not here re recruiting for something, you know, we have this need to hold somebody you'll feel. No, I'm saying for your sake, for your spiritual growth this year, the only way you can grow fully as a follower of Jesus is through serving. You become more and more like Christ. But Jesus also gives another reason why serving is so important. And I want you to jot this one down. Also, through serving, uh, you make a remarkable impact. 
you make a remarkable impact. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. No one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said not all of you are clean. You know, it's interesting in this section right here that Peter really pushes back. I mean, it's like I can just imagine Jesus going from person to person and it's like quiet in the room. Like nobody knows what to say. And he finally gets to Peter and he's reaching down to pick up Peter's fit and Peter just pulls it back. He goes, look, look, Jesus, this isn't right. All right, let me just speak up for the crowd here, for the group. This isn't right. I mean, you shouldn't be washing our feet. I mean, if anybody, we should be washing yours, but this just isn't right. You can't do that. And, and Jesus turned to Peter and, and I love what he said in verse seven. He said, he said, Peter, you don't fully understand what I'm doing. You will get it but you don't understand there's something else that's going on here than just a simple act of service. Commentators will tell you if you do your study on this passage that what Jesus is doing in that moment is really foreshadowing what he will ultimately do on the cross, his ultimate act of service. That just like Jesus took off his outer clothing and took on the form of a servant, that Jesus stepped out of heaven and came in a human flesh and a human body. That's when we celebrated Christmas, right? The incarnation of Christ and, and to come and to serve. And just like how Jesus was washing their feet on the outside, making them clean on the outside, that through the blood of Jesus on the cross, he makes it possible for us to be clean on the inside, see? Now, Peter didn't understand all that. Peter just saw him washing feet. He was like, uh, that doesn't seem right. He saw this outward simple act, but he didn't understand the full gravity of it all. That's true for a lot of us. You know, a lot of times we see a, a simple act of service, but we don't understand that God is really at work in that service in a really profound way. I, I did a funeral recently for a godly woman and, uh, and usually when I do someone's funeral, uh, I will visit with the family and I'll talk about their life. And, and usually in the service, I'll talk a little bit about when that, where that person was born, what their family was like, what they did in, in grade school and high school, maybe even in college. Uh, certainly if they were married, I'll talk about how they fell in love and, and then kids came along. The stories are roughly along that line. And then you get to a point in this person's story, in particular this lady, where she goes now through several decades that seem somewhat unremarkable. In other words, there's no big great accomplishment, no, 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 uh, no huge feat of any kind. I mean, she's just uh, make, you know, cooking meals and raising her family and going to ball games and just doing the stuff that we do, right, uh, every day. And uh, I remember thinking about that and saying, you know, that seems like kind of unremarkable. And then my wife told me, she said, yeah, Craig, even though it looks unremarkable, but those decades are where her most remarkable work took place. That's where she raised her sons to be men 
that would have their own children, where she prayed over them, where she discipled them, where she raised them up to be godly men who would carry on the gospel to the next generation. And it just kind of hit me that that's the way it is in life, right? That, that what seems unremarkable to us, God uses in remarkable ways. That's the way it is when you're serving in a local church. I mean, take, take a guy who serves in seventh grade boys on Sunday morning. I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, really, to serve seventh grade boys. But, but I mean, you're, somebody's serving seventh grade boys today, okay? And then there's somebody rocking babies today, right now, in, in, in the nursery area. And, and then there's somebody probably ran a golf cart to pick you up by your car and bring you up to the church building. And none of those things seem that remarkable. And they, any one of those people might go home and say, well, I really didn't make a difference today. Really didn't do a whole lot today. But it's through those simple acts of service that God uses it to make a powerful impression. A powerful impression that goes way beyond what we fully understand. God's at work in ways we cannot fully understand and God works through us. What we think is insignificant is not insignificant to God. Did you know there's no unremarkable act of service? No such thing. God sees everyone as remarkable. Uh, some of you recall that in December we did an event called uh, A Very Merry Christmas. And we had a lot of people on our campus and we were doing it. It was a great, great kids event. And a lot of people from the community came in. And many of you served, hundreds of you served on that event. Um, and you might have left or going, well, we didn't really you know, make up that big a difference. We had a good time, met some new people, but that was it. But we got uh, a message on social media from one family that visited. This is what this mother wrote. Wow, we were across the street having lunch and saw this event, decided to stop by and see. The volunteers were absolutely amazing and helpful. I've never felt so welcomed at a church event. Isn't that great? Man, let's celebrate that for just a minute. Let's celebrate that. Here's the deal. God was working in what you thought was really unremarkable to really make a remarkable impression on a family. Man, we never felt so loved. We never felt so welcome. Man, I wonder what that church is like. She went on to say, I bet you that place is awesome on the weekends. You know what? God wants to work through you like that. God wants to work through you in remarkable ways if you're willing to let him use you. You know, I'm a, uh, I'm a one-year Bible guy, so I, I try to read through the Bible in a year, going through the one-year Bible. Uh, if you don't do that, I encourage you, hey, you can start this, this week, and it, it'll be great. It'll bless you. But the one-year Bible ends the same way every year, okay? It always ends in Revelation, right? The end of the Bible. And uh, it always ends at the end of Revelation ends the same way. And I was reading through that the, the end of December, and you got all the stuff of Revelation, and then, then you got uh, the coming of Jesus in chapter 19, woo! And then you've got, uh, you got the millennial kingdom and you can debate all that with your family and friends. And then, then you get to the great white throne judgment. Everybody say, ooh, yeah, the great white throne judgment. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing this message. And it brought to mind this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. That's a sobering reality, but it's true that your life's going to be evaluated at what did you do with your life. 
And I don't know how that judgment is going to look like. I, I have no idea. But let me, let me just use my imagination here for just a minute. What if when, when you stand before the Lord and your life is determined, your life is weighed, your life is judged out, what if uh, you all of a sudden get to see the moments in time when the Lord nudged you to serve someone or to do something and you said no? You're sitting in a church service and the Holy Spirit nudged you, man, I need to start serving. And you said, no, nah, I don't have time for that. I'm way too busy. Or the Holy Spirit nudged you to take meal to a neighbor. Ah, I can't do it. I don't even really know them. Or you know, God nudged you to share the gospel with somebody. You said, nah, I don't want to do that. And you see all the times that you said no. And then what if, again, just my imagination, what if you saw your life again and what your life would have accomplished if you had said yes? If you had served, if you had shared, if you had taken that meal, the impact. You think if you could see the end of your life and what it could have been, if you could see that, do you ever think you would say no again? I don't think so. And that's what, we're, that's what we're learning here, that when you are serving, God's got something bigger in mind. Peter didn't fully understand it in the moment, but Jesus saw the bigger picture. And listen, you make this remarkable impact with your life. Just one yes over one yes over one yes. They look like little things in the moment. But when you stand before the Lord Jesus, you're going to go, wow, my life really mattered. So why is serving so important? Well, when we serve, we look more and more like Jesus when we serve. When we serve, our life leaves a remarkable impact on others. But let, me give you, let me give you one more, one more just to jot this down. Uh, when you serve, you are blessed. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Jesus, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly. Since that is what I am, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Underline that verse 17, you are blessed. What Jesus said is, not only do you look more like me when you serve, not only do you make this impact when you serve, but you are blessed when you serve someone else. You say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by blessed? Uh, this last year, Liz and I went on a trip out of state, and uh, we, we got on our flight, and we settled into our seat somewhere in the middle of the plane, and I don't know about you, but normally once I kind of get my seat and get kind of settle in, I'm scrolling on my phone or I'm, I'm looking at something. I'm kind of oblivious to the people around me and what they're doing. And uh, apparently a, a family of four came in that, that had two seats right next to us. And this was a mom and a dad with two young kids. And they had two seats that were right next to us. And then their other two seats were in the very back of the plane, one on either side of the aisle. 
I'm not sure how their tickets got this way, but nevertheless, this was the problem. So they were standing right next to us having this discussion about, you know, how are we going to do that? We, you take a kid and I take a kid, but then we're separated. And how, how can we do that? And what are the kids going to do? And so they're kind of holding everything up, having this discussion. I'm out of it, right? I'm not even paying attention, but Liz is into it, all right? She's, whoop, her ears are up. She's dialed in. She knows what's going on. She's kind of nudging, Craig, these family. I'm like, what, what? And then I hear her say, you can have our seats. I'm like, what? But what am I missing here? And she goes, come on, Craig, we're moving. And I'm like, okay, so I'm getting myself. Where are we going again? All the way to the back of the plane. And she got on one side, I got on the other side. We had the dreaded middle seat. I know. It's awful, right? So I'm sitting in between a grandma and her grandson and they're passing food back and forth. And it's, it's just awesome. And, uh, and Liz is on the other side. And every once in a while I lean over, I kind of wave at her, hey, you know. And, uh, and we, you know, we've, we've talked about that before. We just kind of laughed about it. But you know what? We're really blessed by that. Now you say, wait a minute, Craig. What do you mean you were blessed by that, right? It's not like you got upgraded to first class, right? I mean, that would have been a blessing, right? Get up to first class and now, now you're really getting the blessing. Amen. Now we're getting it. We're in first class. That's the, where the blessing is. No, no, no. See, that's why the blessed life is different. When Jesus says you will be blessed if you do this, he's not saying you're going to get promotions. You're going to get bonus. You're going to get everything. Your blessed life is going to be with all the trappings and the good things that happen in the world. That's not the blessed life. The blessed life is when you serve, when you do something for someone they cannot pay you back, and you do it in the name of Jesus. That's what gets our Father's attention. That's what Jesus did for us. In Philippians chapter 2, we read it. It says everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Listen, who existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Jesus was doing in that upper room. And it's through that humble act of sacrifice and service that he was highly exalted. That's the blessed life. Let me ask you something. Are you living a blessed life? Like I said, I do a lot of funerals. Nobody stands up there and says, man, his quarter of a quarter performance was amazing. Man, he made so much money. Man, he could negotiate, you know, the skin off a mosquito. Man, I hate it. Nobody says stuff like that. But you know what they do say? I never met a person like that that cared about people. I never met a person like that that sacrificed for me. That's the blessed life. And Jesus said, if you live like this, if you serve, you'll be blessed. This whole passage is about living a vibrant life. A life that puts on display all that God has done in our life. A vibrant life is a life put on display by serving others. And Jesus modeled it for us. When you serve others, 
and you live out this vibrant life, you are looking more like Jesus. You're becoming more like Jesus. When you serve others, then you're making this incredible impact. When you serve others, you are truly being blessed in the process. But here we are. We are in New Year's. And here is, our, here is your blank canvas. What's your life going to look like this year? What are you going to do to paint on this canvas and display what God has done in your life? You've really got two options. You can spend this year and say, man, this year, I'm going to really go diving into my hobbies. I'm going to really pour my life into my businesses. This year, I'm really going really to advance the stuff that I want to do. This is my time. And you will have wasted this year in God's eyes. Or you might pick up a brush and start to paint on this canvas an act of service, much like this one. Maybe this year you pick up, pick up a basin and a towel. Maybe this year you really say, we're going to really dive in. We're going to start serving this year. We're going to get involved this year. We're going to do something that matters for the kingdom this year. That would be a vibrant life. Remember what Lilius told us? There lies before us a beautiful possible life it's possible if you're willing to serve now you may say well Craig I I, want to serve but I really don't know how to serve it just seems so hard to kind of figure out my place and how I get involved so let me give you three things to do very quickly first off uh, scan the QR code at your seat on the seat back in front of you, there's a QR code that takes you to a form that gives you an option of five places that you might be interested in serving. If you click on that, you will hear back from a pastor within 24 hours. Now listen, that's pretty easy. Click, hear back. That's all it takes. Now if you're like, oh, QR code, I don't know how to do that. All right, then you can go to the lobby, all right? And we have some pastors in the lobby waiting for you that will help you do that and any questions you have and they, and they will get you started. Go to the lobby, not right now, when I dismiss you in a moment, <laughs> in the lobby. And then mark your calendar for January the 30th. We're gonna have that Sunday night, a night of worship. It's gonna be an awesome night of worship and a ministry expo to follow where you can look at all these ministry options and where you might fit in, okay? That's just in three weeks away, okay? Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? We're gonna take communion together. But before we do, I want you just to picture in your mind that you're in that upper room. You're one of the disciples. And Jesus, you see him pour the water into the basin. You see him put the towel around his waist. You see him starting to wash the disciples' feet. And he comes to your feet. And he picks up your foot and places it in the bowl. And he washes your feet. What would you feel like in that moment? What would be going through your mind in that moment? Then see him put his cloak back on and recline at the table and listen to his words. 
what I have done for you, I've given you an example. And he looks right at you. He said, if you do this, if you serve, you'll be blessed. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me in serving. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say yes? Yes.